All right, so the core, I'm going to ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we are going to finish up with our core values part 2 today. If you didn't get any notes, there are notes available uh, that will help guide through this session, and um, I think they were passing those out beforehand. Um, if you would like a copy and didn't have a copy, would you raise your hand? Did we have any um, copies? Okay, it looks like everybody's got one, so we're good. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and it's an interesting letter because we're actually going to come to a part later where he's having to be really bold in addressing some issues. But in the very first part of the letter in his greeting, he's addressing to the church body that they are a true joy to him when he remembers them in prayer. In verses 3 through 6, we see that he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with joy. And uh, the, the church at Philippi brought a, a good spirit among Paul when he thought of them. He was found joyful in his prayers toward them. And then he continued by thanking them for their fellowship or their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is describing this process of Christian growth that is going to take place, this maturity process in the believer that has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit and is now taking steps of growth through this process called the Christian journey. And so this is really important to understand because the Philippian church, though maybe was not listed with some core values, they understood that they had a mission and a message that God had given them that they were to fulfill. They were unified, they were generous, they were gospel-centered, and all of that was pouring into people. And so there's much that we can learn about the Philippian church, but let's dig in and understand some of these core values at Parkway. Here in our introduction, we have um, the core values and, and what they, why they're important to us and, and why we're communicating them, I guess, is the question today. And the first one is that they communicate what is important. Why are we putting these core values in front of us as a church family? Why have we taken two Sundays to really look at these in individually and in particular to communicate them? And that is because the core values of Parkway communicate what is important to us. And you remember last week I reminded you that with this quote that we learned about from this book is that if everything is important, nothing is important. And that really is something not only for the church, but even for our lives. It, uh, it's helpful for us to know in our families what is important and what's not important. And so the core values of Parkway communicate what is important. Secondly, um, they help us to influence our behavior. You see, language shapes behavior and behavior shapes culture. And so this, this core value thought is helping us to influence what we do. Now, when we say that language shapes our behavior and behavior shapes what we do or our culture, it helps us to realize that it, what we talk about is really important. Now, if I were to ask you the question to, to say, what are some of the things that in the last three, four, five years that you would say are things that seem to influence our behavior? What are the things that we're talking about? And for some of you, you would quickly respond with um, love God, love people. Some of you would say that in recent days, we've used the verbiage with gospel-centered a lot in reference to our, our lives, our church, our families, our marriages. So these are really important things. We would also say the word connections. 
Remember we talked about that last week as one of our core values and the thought of connections, this partnership, this fellowship together is a very vital part to a church and that's why from day one we've communicated connection, connection, not isolation but connection. Uh, maybe you would say you've uh, heard the word diversity a lot, being multi-generational, multi-ethnic, and that being an emphasis of our church, which then is a verbiage that we talk about because that influences our behavior, and then our behavior influences our culture. And so these are important things that influence. Thirdly, we see that these core values assist us. They assist us to decide what we say yes to, and what we say no to. And so we would ask ourselves, how do we, as a church, how do we handle conflict? Um, how do we handle when there is so many things that we want to be a part of, we want to participate in? Last week we talked about how we, at every church is limited in its, in its resources. We're limited in our time. We're limited in our energy. We're limited in our passions. We're limited in our focus. And so that's why we have to constantly evaluate as a church body, what programs do we take on? What do we say yes to? What programs do we end? Or we just did as an experiment and say the time has expired on it. Um, that's, that's the beauty of church ministry is that we don't do the same thing for 30 years just because that's the way we've always done it. We have to constantly evaluate what is effective, what is important, what do we say yes to, what do we say no to. Um, what do we designate our budget to? Uh, that is a, a certainly a key element that when we every year we're praying and deciding and how to put together the financial guidelines of our ministry, our core values help to push that forward. Also, should we, um, people would ask, well, why don't we do this? Or, or why do we do this? And, and that, again, is always going to come back to our core values that tell us what do we say yes to, what is important, and what is not. And then the fourth thing here is that our core values help enhance credibility. Uh, this is really important because people want to know what Parkway stands for and what we believe. And so when they come in, they want to know, what am I attaching myself to? Now, the Discover Parkway class is, is in a transition right now. And after these core values, we're, we're helping to overhaul the, the focus of the Discover Parkway class. But what the Discover Parkway class has done for many of you is you've come in and you've been able to take four, three or four weeks to learn about the history of the ministry, the present of the ministry, and the hopefully the God-given future of the ministry, what the vision is, what the values are, and, and really what motivates us as a church body. And so having clear-cut core values that by next Sunday, you'll see them on the wall in the lobby, and those will be clearly laid out as the core, the values that shape our culture. You'll see them in a brochure. You'll see them in pamphlets and in documents that you will have in your Bible and in your possession so that you can constantly come back to these core values of our church. These will be discussed with our new member class so that people can understand and help identi identify what we are and who we are. And so we desire to have complete clarity in our values while asking others to commit to them. As a church body, we're asking you to grab a hold of these 12 core values and to commit to those core values. And it's not like a multiple choice that says, I'll take A and B, but you can have E and F and, and uh, really not interested in that. 
because you're joining as a part of a body of believers, a family of God, and we're identified with these things. They become our passion. They become our drive. They become our motivation. And so how do we implement them and make them a part of your heart, our heart? And, uh, and so that's something that we're looking at even in the future of how we keep these in front of us. Uh, Brother Roy Sanford came up last week with uh, just great input about the session and said, in the future, do you think we could cover how do we, how do we really put these then into practice? We look at these core values. They're important. They're these one, two-word statements, or we have a, a catch statement that kind of attaches to all of them. But what does that practically look like? How do we do that? And so I'm praying and, and designing and looking at a new series at some point on these 12 core values of how to take each one and uh, practically implement them into the, the life of the church and into the life of who we are. Um, I think I'm going to call it how to work your core without doing crunches. <laughs> I like that. I mean, yeah, let's do that, right? So how to work your core without doing crunches. Uh, so we're going to look at how do we take the core and, uh, and put that into practice, and that's certainly going to help us with these four things. Well, in your notes, you see a review uh, from the first six that we discussed the last week. We took four in the 945 session, and then we did two of them in the morning uh, worship service. The two that I want to reiterate here is number five and number six in your notes, and again, these are in no particular order other than when we were looking at these, we had decided which ones we would put into what place, the, the four that we've implemented into the worship service with our text and acts kind of fell into place, and then the others were built around that. But number five is fitting together with, your, with our community. And I wanted to make sure I emphasize this, because last week in our message, we didn't take a lot of time to really dissect these, and we passionately link ourselves with people in our community in order to break down barriers, build relationships, and plant gospel seeds. So... Our outreach, our outreach ministry has to step it up. We understand that. Now, we always want to keep it in, in our focus that we're building relationships within our sphere of influence. And there are many of you who are constantly doing that. You're interacting with people at your workplace or in your neighborhood or total strangers, and you're, you're sharing the love of Jesus with them. You're looking for ways to break down barriers just in order to build a relationship and plant gospel seeds. But as a church body, we need to better structure that as a corporate setting, something that we can set into place as the church to be in motion with that. And so our team is, is constantly looking that, praying about that, discussing that. There's some things here in the fall season that we're implementing and putting into place that we would just love for you to find your attachment to that and your involvement and your buy-in uh, to be a part of that. And so we want to definitely have that not only personally but church-wide. How do we connect in our community. Then number six, we talked about focusing on missions. We take seriously our duty to proclaim the gospel at home and around the world and to partner with those who are sent by God to places that we cannot reach. And so our missions ministry has to stay as a top priority in our church. The missions ministry has been a solid ministry all through the years under Brother Richardson's ministry, under Brother Chan McMillan's ministry, and continuing on into the years ahead. Missions has to be at the forefront of our, of our goals and our vision. The, the missions ministry is one that the church family gets behind with our, with our giving and with our prayers. 
And when we have the privilege to partner with church planners or missionary agents that go throughout all the world and to places that we cannot touch and places that we can personally, we just cannot go to, this is that opportunity that says, I will get behind the faith promise, the grace-giving ministry of missions so that we can continually to support these missionaries. As you know, currently with our missionary units, we're trying to increase them from the $50 mark a month to $100 a month. Uh, we're also looking to take on some new church planners that we've had come in and that, uh, that we really want to pray about partnering with. As presented to the church several weeks ago about the Carney family as dear friends of the ministry that we have not financially supported through these years, but one that we're looking to financially support as a church. And then also our mission team is praying about how the church can partner with them as a sending church. And so these are really important elements that as a church body we have to pray about and we have to support and get behind. And so this focusing on missions is not only at home but around the world and uh, that partnership is really important. So the new ones that we come to today is uh, number seven and this is going to be, um, oh I think we, oh I'm sorry we had them all here I could have sh shown them to you, uh, fitting together with our community and then focusing on missions. And then the next one is pursuing unity. We esteem others by following Christ's greater mission while we focus on the important and not on the trivial. Tom Rainer is one that I follow and read a lot about, and he is uh, one that's in the trenches of the local church. And he is doing a lot of research and study, and he wrote a book called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Last week, I shared with you some interviews that he had with church members who had been a part of a church that had lasted for a while and then died off and shared some of those quotes and expressions of why that happened, and those are in the notes from last week. But he also noted in this book that there was a clear piece of evidence that seemed to be common in dying churches, and it was that the members have more and more arguments about what they wanted. So this is a common trait in the churches that have died off, is that more and more arguments came up about what they wanted. Now we understand that this whole issue and idea of unity, it comes from every aspect from the leadership down. And it is one of those of preferring over, uh, over ourselves to other people. The book of Philippians gives us a great example of that, but also Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1, and he said, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, well, I am of Paul. And some say, I am of Apollos, and I of Peter, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So Paul had to address this whole contention issue, because it became a matter of people wanting to be identified with somebody bigger and greater, but they were losing track of being same mind, same judgment, same love, same gospel, same Jesus Christ. And what ends up happening then is in a church body is that we all have our ideas, we all have our passions, we all have the things that we love and we enjoy. That's the beauty of a church body because somebody comes to the table and says, I really want to be involved in something like this. And so the church says, well, that, 
really isn't something that we have right now. And because God hasn't provided leadership for that or hasn't provided the passion for that, is that something you'd be willing to pray about and something that you'd be willing to consider about starting and developing and birthing in the ministry? And so then somebody comes and says, well, I want to do this. And somebody says, well, now, does that come back to our core values? Is that fueled by what we need to be identified with? Now, remember, the core values help us to say what is important, but it also helps us to say yes to things and no to other things. Now, Paul would also write this in the same book that we started, Philippians chapter 2. Remember, he said, church, you are a joy to me when I pray for you. You have a lot of positive mojo. You've got a lot going on. And then he gets to the next chapter in chapter number 2, and he says in verse number 1, he's going to help them with this focal point. And he's going to say, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ... That means if there's any of this comfort in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship or partnership of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, compassion and mercies, then fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So he says, then let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So Paul obviously knew that that even the healthiest of churches could quickly become ill if disrupted in the area of unity. If disunity snuck into the church, it can tear it apart from the very core. That's why biblical confrontation and agreements through conflict has to be addressed. In our Discover Parkway class, we go clearly over, how do you deal with conflict biblically? I mean, conflict happens. It happens in our homes. It happens in our workplace. It's certainly going to happen in a church. And when that takes place, how do we address it? What do we do? And that's a really important aspect of Ephesians chapter 4, as new believers in Jesus Christ, how we handle situations different than the unregenerate. So Paul doesn't really make clear of what conflict is taking place in the church at Philippi, but even later in this letter in chapter number four, verse number two, he does address some of it. And he says, I beseech Iodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. So something was going on and apparently the church was facing this danger of discord and Paul is going to address it. So church... We must pursue unity. How do we do that? We esteem others better, or excuse me, we esteem others by following Christ's greater mission while we focus on the important and not on the trivial. Verses one and two of chapter two give, verses one and two of chapter two give us the spiritual unity in the church. And verse three and four give us this taking on of the humility of spirit and mind. And maybe you're sitting there and you think that you have a really hard time doing that That's okay, continue reading the chapter and look to Jesus as your example and be like him, be like Jesus. Humble yourself in this way. All right, the next one is living through generosity. So we dedicate our God-given time, abilities, and resources generously because God has given his all for us. Now, I don't understand why generosity or this topic of giving has become such a sensitive topic through the years. If you begin to dissect it, it it might just be because what it reveals in our hearts is who our Lord and Master might be. 
when we begin to talk about giving or generosity or giving of ourselves, it has a tendency to reveal the idols that are in our heart, the things that are most passionate to us or the things that are, are uh, most time-consuming to us. Now, what has taken place in the last three decades is that there's been these major shifts that have taken place. Legalistic demands have pushed people away from giving. I've had conversations with people who with the legalistic demands of giving and the, the verbiage that was used and the condemnation that was crammed down people's throat and shoved into people's face, it just caused people to stop giving because it was communicated in such a way that you are giving to us or you're giving to the church. And so this whole shifting has taken place and people have lost their focus of generosity and giving for you're not giving to the church you're not giving to a staff you're not giving to any man you're giving to the lord as unto the lord the scripture clearly teaches that for all of us and so whether it's our time or our resources or our knowledge or our abilities our talents whatever it might be again remember that's all being given to the lord giving to him and then another shift that has taken place is that there's been extravagant lifestyles of a few preachers that have become a convenient excuse for people not to give. And so people say, well, I'm, I'm not going to give because I don't like the decisions that they make. I'm not going to give because uh, they do this or they do that. I'm not going to give because uh, they live here or they drive that or he dresses this way. And all of a sudden, some of these things that are very humanistic have become a focal point and an excuse for somebody that says, I'm not going to give anymore. Then there's a third shift that has taken place in the last three decades, and that is people have developed a consumer mindset on giving to local churches. It's interesting how easily people fall into this trap of being a part of the church in order to gain. And so what takes place is that people come to the church and, and they think, all right, what am I going to gain today? What will I walk away from by gaining something today? And so sometimes it's, um, I'm going to show up and I hope that people are kind to me. I hope that people are gracious to me. I hope that people feel sorry for me and I hope people will love on me and I hope that this happens. I hope they sing my favorite songs and I hope the preacher preaches on this text and I hope he quits preaching like this. And, and all of these things have become consumer-minded. And why would they? That's our life, isn't it? You're going to go to a restaurant today who has treated you well in the past. I was asked recently, what restaurants do you like? And you know what came to my mind? Restaurants that I've enjoyed the menu, I've enjoyed the service, and I've enjoyed, enjoyed the cleanliness of the place. So guess what? They get my continual business. So this consumer-minded life that we now live in has fallen into the church, and now we're in that trap. And so when we show up on Sunday, if it doesn't look like it, we want it to look and it doesn't happen how we think it should happen, well then, hey, we live in a day where there's plenty of other options. And so we're just going to hop across town and find the next place to go. And that's what happens to people that don't buy into the core values of a church that helps you identify, why am I a part of this? Like, I am a crucial part of this church body. I, I may not be able to give a lot, you may say. I may not be able to do a lot, but you take what God has given you and you use it for his glory and you use it to be a blessing to your church family. So it's not about what I gain, it's about what do I give. And when we have that kind of mentality, we'll plug into a local church and we will go at it. And we will be so passionate about what God has called us to do 
that nobody will be able to sway us or move us or take us away from that. Now We know that being a servant to two masters is possible, but being a slave to two masters is impossible. Because being a servant is going to be a higher task, but being a slave is one of ownership. Now guess what, Christian? You're a slave to a master, Jesus Christ. And we have been bought with a price. And therefore glorify God. What does the verse say? He says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? God's. Do you know what that body reference is? That's our actions. That's what we do. And then the spirit part is our attitude. It's the, the rational spirit. It's the power by which human beings have feelings and how we think and how we make decisions. And that verse told us, because we have been bought with a price, use our actions and our attitudes, our feelings, our decisions, and our passions, use them all for God's glory because they're his. So let's get out of the mindset as an owner but rather as a slave, ready to serve who has bought us with a price. So the best way to become more generous is to become consistent in the practice of generosity. So make it a habit. Teach your family. Teach your kids. And it's much more than just money. This is time. This is knowledge. It's resources. As being a part of the church, you take your ability, your energy, and your knowledge, you take your experiences and your passions, and you plug into God's church. There's always a place for you to serve, always a place for you to get involved. Number nine is laying solid foundation by equipping families. So we work hard to guide every individual to be transformed by Christ and guided by grace. Now... Don't get too bogged down with the word equipping families because it's not just that we want to equip the mom, dad, and the kids. Equipping families goes to every individual. Everyone in here is a part of a family. You're a part of some family, whether some of us want to really claim them or not. Anybody want to say amen to that? I don't know. I mean, I'm not because my mom and dad are in here, so you won't hear that from me, all right? But, but some of us think about how um, we're a part of a family, and now as a member of the church, as a part of the local church, you're a part of a greater family here. And so this equipping is really important. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. And he gave, God gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors, teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. That word perfecting is equipping. For equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here's verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children that are just tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. By the way, we live in a time and a culture where there are plenty of those that want to toss us to and fro to confuse our mind and to bring their craftiness and this deceit to our mind. Why do we see big name Christians walking, quote unquote, walking away from the faith? Well, because they never had any solid foundation in the realities of who God was. It was all personal. It was all about them. And so this will be easy to sway anybody who is self-centered and self-focused. 
when it becomes more about you, your desires, and your wants, then you will be tossed to and fro. You will be carried about. You will be taken. You will be taken as hostage in this case. Verse 15, but speaking the truth and lo- in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I wish we had time to dissect that whole section because there's so much truth and great nuggets of blessing for the local church just in that passage. But what Paul is telling us is that the purpose of these gifts of leadership is very clear so that the saints or God's people might be equipped for the work of the ministry. You see, believers out here, all of us need to be equipped for the ministry of his church. We all need to be a part of that. And what he says here is that this this equipping is to put it right, to to put it straight. The ancient Greek word here was described to set like a a broken bone. Anybody ever have a broken bone that they had to go in and and reset? I've never experienced that, but I, I think it's a pretty painful experience from what I've heard. But it's also a very important part. It's like in the ancient times, the same word was used when they would mend their nets. And so they would fix their nets, they would mend it in order to make it strong and correct. Why? So that it would be effective. The broken bone has to be reset, it needs to be equipped, it has to be set right in order that it will heal properly and be most effective. The nets that have been broken down, they have to be mended, they have to be equipped, they have to be set right. Why? So that they will be most effective. And so for the local church, we use these gifts of leadership in order to equip, to make right, to set forth, to to make most effective the body of Christ. And why is that? As the last part of that passage tells us, that God's people do the real work of the ministry in order to expand his kingdom, to expand his people. Now again, we've, we've said this over and over again, the goal and desire here at Parkway is not to expand our kingdom at the 4210. But God will build his church and he will bring the increase. We do our part to serve God, glorify God, and to serve each other. We plug in and we implement our gifts and our talents in order that God can use us. But then remember, we have to take that and pour it into other people. And so after we've been equipped, we come to number 10, and that's this development. It's developing leaders. We are deliberate in training and empowering every generation of leaders. Parkway wants to develop leaders who are teachable, leaders who are motivated by servanthood, leaders who are interested in building relationships, leaders who are contagious with a positive attitude, and leaders who support the vision of God's local church. Now, there are several in here who you would maybe look to as the leaders of Parkway. But that's a continual flow. That's a continual pouring into other people. There are people in here who you lead ministry teams. We want you to be able to train someone else to help lead that ministry team in the future. There are some of you in here who teach classes, and you teach a connection class, and we're asking you to pour into somebody else that can take that mantle and continue to teach, maybe when you're not there, or uh, maybe birthing a new class. This past summer, one of the goals and desires 
uh, for our growth groups was that we would get new teachers implemented with the opportunity. And we've had several that have been able to plug in in a substitute role. Um, I believe in, in one class we had two. My class had uh, one. Um, I think the auditorium class had one. And so there's been implementation of these, of these classes. I think, Jason Halbesma, you're, you were the only faithful one all summer in your class. Thank you for teaching every week. We appreciate that. The rest of us got vacation days, but not, but not Jason. Hey, take a break today. You don't have to teach today, okay? But be ready next Sunday because you're on with the link. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, it helps us to see this whole multiplication process because Paul wrote to Timothy and said, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So let's use our gifts to serve God, to glorify him, and to be a blessing to others, as well as to, to help prepare the next generation of leaders. Let's always be a part of that. Now, I told you about the upcoming series of, of how do we implement the core? How do we put that into action? How do we put that into practice? And uh, so how do we apply these and practically live them out? And we'll, we'll get to that at some point. Um, but uh, this morning in our, in our message, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter number 2. Uh, these will be in your handout in the bulletin for the message this morning from Acts 2. But if you want to write them on your handout that you have in front of you right now, we're going to talk about being gospel-centered in everything. And I'm really excited about hammering home this thought today about our motivation. We are motivated by the work of the cross and desire to shape our homes, marriages, families, lives, and church on the gospel. The last one is nurturing and ongoing discipleship. Um, we impact or impart truth, accountability, and tenacity while developing mature followers of Christ. And I've got some things this morning to share with you that I'm really excited about with that. Now, these core values are, are important, and I, for some of you, maybe it's, it's really never been a part of, of your local church experience. It's nothing new under the sun, and like I said last week, I'm no expert on them, and I'm no expert on developing a culture within a body of believers. But with prayer and being a student of the word, my desire is that we would be able to embark on this together and that we would be able to grab a hold of these core values so that they reflect who we are. Now, there's a lot of things that can describe a church. And you're probably thinking, well, why isn't some of these listed? You know, we need to be a praying church. Yeah, I understand. Uh, maybe you'd say um, we need to be a soul winning church. Or maybe you'd say a, a, lot, a number of things that you say should be represented in our core values. But understand, again, these core values really stem into a lot of other areas that are focal points. And so it's not saying that prayer is not an important aspect because prayer is. And we make that a really important part of our church body. But... Um, as we dissect these and look at them and put them into practice, we're going to find so many other things come into play that are really important to us as a local church, okay? All right, we're going to pray and uh, dismiss, and then uh, we'll be together for worship at 11 o'clock. Father, thank you for this morning and the time to look into these core values. Lord, I know that um, for us to implement them is going to take some intention intentionality, and, uh, and so I pray that you would help us to have wisdom in that matter. I pray as a church body, we would grab a hold of these, understand why they're important, uh, that we would even maybe put some of them to memory, have them in our Bible. Maybe we would even do some of our own studying to grab a hold of scriptural truths that support these thoughts. Maybe that we would look to practice them and live them out. 
Lord, so I just thank you again for leading us in this way. As a church that is continually growing and uh, continually evolving, we know that there's some growing pains. I know that for some people, even just looking at next week with a little bit of a 30-minute shift, that's a growing pain. And, uh, and some may be not looking forward to that. Others are excited and looking forward to implementing that. Um, Lord, I know that there's other things with classroom space as the school has launched again into its new year. And, and so connection classes and our small groups within our church are trying to find the right space to meet on Sundays and keep that as a really important aspect. I know that there's some in here who are praying about discipleship. Can they pour into somebody else? Will they sit and be poured into? And, and they're debating and they're praying and they're looking and they know that means time and that means energy and it means knowledge and it means focus. But Lord, maybe you're stretching them right now and pushing them and may they pray about that and may they take that step. Maybe there's others that are looking to just have a gospel-centered home and they don't know where to turn or how to make that happen. Lord, as we walk through these very important truths this morning, help us to take great steps of obedience in following you. So bless us now in time of fellowship, partnership, and connection in the next 25 minutes. We look forward to our worship time together in Jesus' name. Amen.